Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Trust God all week. Every time the tiniest fear, the tiniest anxiety tries to get at your thought patterns, Say that prayer. Just say, I trust you, God. Those four words, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I just have a funny story. Um, I have dogs that sit at my feet when I cook. And they, like, stare at the floor just, like, waiting for a little whatever I drop, right? And so one day I was feeling generous. I had a bunch of extra good stuff, you know. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, here, Pillsbury. And he, like, immediately, like, looks up. Pillsbury. Pillsbury, because he's super fat and has the biggest stomach. Anyway. And he, like, looked immediately up at me, grabbed the good stuff. And the other one, I was like, cookie, cookie. And she would not lift her head. Like, she just was staring at the floor. And I, so I talked to my dog. So I'm like, cookie. I'm like, don't you trust me? Like, if that if I'm calling your name, that I have something for you, like, good stuff for you? And the Lord just spoke to me in such a, he's like, honey, you're my child. Like, here's a dog, you know, but you are my child, and why don't you trust me? And I just, it was just this revelation of going, Here's this good stuff I have for my dog, and she doesn't trust me. And I'm doing the same thing. I'm in that beggar mode of putting my head down and waiting that maybe the Lord will drop something good in my lap. Maybe he'll take care of me when I need him. And here he's going, I give it all to you. Anyway, I just want to share that. Thank you. That's meaningful. Lord, help, help us. I just want to respond in prayer to this. Help us to respond rightly to you. You have good stuff for us. You're not out to get us. You're not out to make something of us. You're not out to prove something through us. You just have good stuff for us and want to bless us and take care of us. Lord, I I receive that this morning. I receive it in my heart. I receive it as straight from you. And help me to be a Pillsbury. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pillsbury and Cookie, those are interesting names for your dogs. You should hear Brenda talk to our cats. Do you baby talk to your animals? Like that's the only that's when Brenda reverts into baby talk. It's just like her whole voice. Cha- I'm going to tell on her this way. Her whole vo- tone of voice changes and everything. Yeah, a kitty girl. And it's like, hmm. cat's gone. Stupid human slave. Open the door. No, I'm not going to come sit on your lap. I'm going to ignore you. Cats are interesting pets. They're almost as good as fish. Oh.
Okay, last week we were doing this, um, the advantage that we have in how to take advantage in spiritual warfare of the freedoms we have and then looking at how, how mindsets trap us. And so what I mean by mindset is what the scripture refers to in 2 Corinthians as a stronghold. It has a stronghold on you. We all have mindsets. We all have strongholds. And they affect how we operate in this life in a much stronger way than what we even realize. We notice the strongholds and we tend to focus on the sin aspect of that I'm sinning and that that's a stronghold in my life. But actually strongholds are patterns of thinking in which they vault themselves as lies against the knowledge of God. And therefore there are some of them that are actually the main ones that are common to all of us. And God's given us tools in our freedom in Christ to actually not just overcome them, but remember, he came to set the captive free. You can be free of them. But you have to recognize what's going on in order to do that. And so this, and this is such an interesting thing. This mindset that I call the orphan mindset is one of the primary strongholds that affects every person in the body of Christ. Why? Because it was there in the beginning. And my, my whole life pattern, and it's the idea of being an orphan, and really what it is is it's fatherlessness, I had to study this, and I probably taught on the fatherhood of God more than, I think, other than the Holy Spirit and now grace, more than any other topic through all the years. And, and you know, primarily I did, uh, for the first 20 years of my ministry, I did youth and young adult ministry. So it was so focused. And when I first went into vocational ministry, I can't tell you how many prophetic words or different things or people just responding to me and they would tell me oh you have such a fathering spirit on you you have the spirit of the father you have this fathering thing on you and I'm going (laughs) what (laughs) you know because I I didn't have any better handle on this than anybody else none of us did and I would try and uh, you know do that but it also scared me It frightened me because with it, attachment came. People wanted to, we want to, we have this longing. The reason I'm bringing it out, we have this longing in our hearts to attach to the idea of being fathered. Because this mindset was there in the beginning when Adam and Eve fell. Uh, It's what happened to human race. And what we all have with that. So people would say that and young men and young women would want to attach and would want me to father them. And there was this kind of a replacement thing. You probably have felt that towards other people and said, I wish you could be, you know, I wish they were my dad. And that, um, and that has, it has some value in that we all learn to help father each other and, uh, and it's not just a gender role, it's not just a male-female thing, but it's, it's the idea of, 
of God and it's how God revealed himself through Jesus to us. He came, he even said, I came to reveal the Father. When you see me, you have seen the Father. And so that whole idea is right there. And so this mindset, this idea of an orphan mentality, if you will, um, has, has its deep roots in the base of fatherlessness. It uh, started in the garden, Eden, uh, with the fall from grace, and really carried on even through family relationship and, and how families became separated. What's really interesting, if you look through the Word of God, we keep looking for, to find this perfect family, and there's not. Have you noticed that every family in the, in the Bible is dysfunctional? There's, no, there's not a fully functioning family in the Bible. We all have this longing, this ideal in our heart that our family, if we pursue God, is going to become fully functional. It doesn't. We all have weaknesses. Every human being here on the earth has been broken by the original sin of Adam. It broke, it broke something in us. Christ heals it and is healing it. And so, yes, we can become more functional, uh, but, but the idea that this family, oh, they, <laughs> that family's got it together, and here's what we did in the body of Christ, then get them to get up and teach on it. The, uh, I got asked lots of times back in the, in the day of different church, and where I was at is if I, w- I would teach on raising children, I would go, nope. <laughs> nope. Once again, Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. <laughs> you know, the minute I watched some guy get up and teach about how to raise your children, uh, all hell broke loose in their lives and their family. And uh, it's because we all, you know, I'm, I'm making light of it, but we're all very familiar with this. Um, when the connection to God the Father got lost in Adam, uh, it created, in its place immediately, if things came, self-serving, self-protecting, self-providing, all of those came into the human race. And those are all aspects or characteristics actually of orphans. Um, it's so interesting, prior to the arrival of Jesus, God is not referred in, in the Old Covenant or in the Old Testament as Father except in prophecy pointing to Jesus. Their relationship to God is never seen as, as father to child. It's seen as friend. Abraham, who my friend, Enoch was the friend of God, but this idea of God being Father, that happens when Jesus shows up. Because he had this unbroken, Jesus was never an orphan. He was always with the Father, and the Father was with him. And that's what he came to restore to us. This incredible promise that Jesus gave. Just as I am in the Father, and the Father in me, he's saying, in the same way, it's what you're saying about that good, yummy gift. In that same way, say, just like that, 
I will be in you and you will be in me. It, it has the power and there's a freedom there to release us from this mindset. We see it when Jesus, you know, you see it in, uh, in his first discourses, in his teachings in Matthew 5 and 6. He starts displaying what the Father is like. They even say, oh, well then teach us to pray. What's he started with? Our Father. Personal possessive pronoun, our Father. That's actually why one of the reasons they wanted him killed. The authorities, those who were in control and authority, says he makes himself out then to be God. Because if God's his father, then if nothing else, Jesus is a little God. (laughs) Uh, What they didn't know is Jesus was the God. (laughs) And, And eventually that gets known. In his declaration of who the Father is, here's what Romans 4 and 5 teaches very clearly. And it teaches us that Jesus came to, as it refers to him as the second Adam, to restore what Adam lost. To actually gain back the father-child relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in the beginning. As creator-creation. And he came and gave that back to us. It was gone. I mean, when you think of what got stolen. uh, The problem is, is the mindset that comes with, um, I'm going to use a term here, Adamic living. Living in Adam. Living pre-Christ and not seeing yourself as being in Christ. These mindsets have... (laughs) These characteristics that are uh, very, it's funny, we know them and we taste them and we ignore them and we live in them. And we can ignore them all at the same time, but they, they look like this, very self-serving and self-protecting. It is so hard not to be self-protective. So deeply hard. The minute somebody challenges us, you want to, you either want to, you know, it's either flee or fight, or some, there's another one, freeze. <laughs> but when you or who you are, or what your idea is, or all that gets attacked, then immediately we move into self protection in one form or another. I, I, I must, an orphan when they're orphaned, has to take care of themselves. You know, I'm sure you've seen the studies on, on infants that are, that are left in institutions, and what happens is they never get touched, and man, they grow up jacked up. There's, there's, no, there's no tactile stuff. They don't, they don't want to be handled. They don't, wanna, they don't want intimacy. Uh, they don't want affection. And because it didn't happen when they were a baby. Um, there's things about that are particular characteristics that we know by studies of looking at orphaned children and what they go through. Some of it are this, manipulation and control. Because orphans have to make a way for themselves, they want to tightly control everything in their lives. Do you? Um... 
and will manipulate to get things. They move things around. Uh, these aren't just like blank statements I'm making. These came out, you know, I'm not going to put the research up, but this came up through studies. I manipulate to get my way. On the other one, I will do whatever it takes to survive and get ahead. An orphan has to make a way for themselves because nobody else is going to do it. It's hard. For those of us that have been natural orphans, uh, and if, if that was you, this, this is hard. This pokes right at the very substance of your being because you know this is true and it's hard to face that it's true because you want to escape it and be fathered. You want to be adopted. Every orphan that is orphaned longs for a family to adopt them. They long for it. It's like the bingo, you know. Uh, I-17, that's me, that's me. I get one, I get a parent. You know, it's, we want that so desperately. And we will do whatever it takes to survive. The trouble with it, the self-identity stuff comes out in this. I'm not worthy. Nobody picked me. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be loved or this wouldn't have happened to me. And then the really big one, I'm alone. Got to make my own way. Um, aloneness is a wonderful thing. Loneliness is not. Aloneness can be such a, um, especially if you tend to be a little bit of an introvert or, I love being alone. I, I really, I don't just love it. I like being alone. I like time alone in the house where Brenda's not talking to the cats. Uh, uh, she's gone to the store and I have the house to myself. Uh, I, uh, I, I fish alone. I like doing that. I like going out into nature. I like going for walks by myself. I like that, but there's something in my wiring. But I think some of it has to do with these other mindsets. It gets in there, and it tells me that that's better for recharging my batteries than being with loved ones, which is a lie. That's not true. It's not better. It's different. See the difference? It's just different. So I understand the I'm alone thing, but the I'm alone thing, which has a good aspect in it, also can have a devastating effect in it, which is I'm always alone. Then you start putting a superlative with it. And it really affects it. So it affects all of uh, why talk about you know, the, these characteristics, because the characteristics are the reflection of the mindset, where the mind always thinks that way. It's one thing to be self-protective one time, it's another thing in all your behavioralisms, because then it detracts from your ability to have friends. Here's a bigger one. It detracts from your ability to have relationship. Here's the bigger one, even with God. Even with God, it affects that. And it, it affects how you deal with others. Um, Dudley Hall wrote a wonderful book regarding this. It was written years ago. It's one of the best 
old grace message books that you'll ever find you can still get it you can even get it on kindle and it's called orphans no more and he saw this same thing and this is i think it was written probably i want to say 19 late 80s early 90s but he saw it from coming out of the jesus movement and then into the 1970s and the thing that was occurring in church he saw this so Clearly, so I want to read a couple things that he talks about in this because I think it'll give you connecting points with it. Uh, by the way, your job is not to remove this off your children. Your job is to love them in Christ and let them gain a relationship with God. To not directing them to not be an orphan but directing them into seeing God as their father and all that that uh, gets to happen. So he says in his book, in an orphanic, my word he says, world, success is measured by symbols that speak of achievement, affirmation, and affection. Riches, titles, trophies, toys, memorials, and resumes fill the lives of those who pursue success. And ambition, aggression, commitment, and communication skills are the way to succeed. In a phrase, learning how to work the world's systems. And it really affects our prayer life. This affects Christians. That I have to advance my cause. I, ha I have to do these things to win. Part, part of the devastation of an orphan mindset is you think you're losing even when you're winning. There's a, there's a fear with it that says, I'm, I'm never going to really get ahead. Um, man, I understand this stuff so deeply. So uh, my, my father committed suicide when I turned 19, right after I turned 19. And my mother died when I was 20, I think 26 or 27, right in that time frame. So as a, as a child, I knew my parents, but as a young adult... I didn't have that go ask mom or go ask dad thing. It just wasn't, it wasn't there. And so trying to navigate uh, this whole orphanic thing was so right here. Um, it felt like, uh, in many ways, it hindered my, my decision making, how I made decisions, the way, but I learned. Oh my God, I learned. I learned God. Because God wants to show up to break this mindset. God wants to show up and reveal to you, you don't have to do that. But first you have to see what you're doing. You know how that happens? People. You want me to sing, Barbara? People, people who need people. Well, we need, need each other. People hold up a mirror of reality to you. People, by how they respond to who you are, are showing a mirror of reality over all your behavioral patterns. Now you say, well, I don't want to be judged by people. I understand that. I don't want to either. But you will be. Did you hear me? I don't want other people to judge me. But they will. 
Because they're going to assess their behavior. They're going to assess whether you're likable, unlikable, trustable, not trustable, and those kind of things. And when there's patterns here, when you can start seeing these, that's when the beauty of freedom. You've been given an identity in Christ in which you were adopted by the Father. By God the Father, you do have an adoption. You do have a possession in God as not just your family, but personal possessive pronoun, our Father, my Father. One of the ways you can start experiencing a greater degree of freedom in this really is is to pray it, but understand what you're praying it, not just mouth words. Um, And it's this. Try starting your prayers with, Oh, my Father. Just see what it does inside of your heart. Just try it. You may go, Hey, it doesn't do anything. It might not. But, oh, man, if it starts uh, poking at this in any sort of way, um, it's, it, we've become so inundated in modern Christianity with these things um, and it comes out, and one of the things that, that Dudley Hall points out again in his book, Orphans No More, is how we pray. Have you ever listened to your prayers? Hmm? Have you ever listened to the way you pray? What is, what is it that are, do you have, do you have these continual blocks these patterns of praying or of naming God in a certain way it'll come out just look at it not in a scary way but just asking the Lord show some things to me about this because if it doesn't include intimate language over God as father there might be an issue there um Again, I have to go back to what John Lynch in in The Cure wrote. God is completely for us and endlessly in love with us apart from anything we must prove. Orphans always feel like they have to prove something. They always feel that. They always feel like they got to prove something. God's for me. I don't have to prove something to get God. He's your story at the beginning. It's just with that. God's intent is to be good to you. Our responses are strange. You see it in things like in the Bible. So, <laughs> you know, what a p- strange place to find the orphan mindset. We find it in how we label stories. The story of, of the, the parable that Jesus tells of one particular story is identified through this orphan mentality. That's the parable of the prodigal son. He never called it that. Jesus never titled it that. Who titled it that? We did. Why? Because the story reveals something about it. What the story could be titled is... The story of the loving father. Um, It's 
so interesting because he, as he lays out this story, Jesus saw this, man, he just go, he just buzzes right into it. When the son who got his inheritance and then lived foolishly comes back, the first thing he says to the father, the father goes out running to him to grab him, the loving father accepting him, and he wasn't looking for anything, immediately wants to go into this confession and repentance I'm, and what he says is really weird. Not I did these wrong things. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Jesus is trying to get something to us. He says, look, <laughs> this thing, this manner, this mannerism, this mentality gets a hold of us and makes us captive to it. And he wants to relate to them. Then he, then he tells God, <laughs> you know, I'll reread that story. Um, Timothy Keller writes a book called The Prodigal God to explain this story that is, that's another book that will blow your socks off. Because it's just like, what? We have so misinterpreted and read this story through this mindset. Um, How do we break this? How do we, how, how do I put the nail in the coffin and get over this. Well, it takes more than one nail. It takes a lifetime of nails. Really does. Um, It's telling ourselves the truth about our identity and where we are seated with Christ. We are in the Father's house and we are the Father's house. It's It's an amazing thing. Um... So how do we really, how do you break it? You live in the Spirit and war in the Spirit. You declare and confess who you are in Christ. That is our God-given inheritance identity. Um, He's still doing that work, and it's an ongoing thing. Um... I've said to myself this. I've been so exasperated with myself, so I'll use my current age. I'm 69 years old, and I'm still dealing with this stuff. I get disgusted with it. I go, are you kidding me? The Lord says, no, that's how devastating sin was. That's how devastating separation was. That you can live a whole lifetime and then conquer it so much in your life. Like I have, I think Brenda would attest to this. I have beaten this thing down and I have won. I don't know how many thousands of times Christ has won the victory for me in it. And there can be one stupid little thing said or one stupid little occurrence. And... Go, go right back into that mindset. So this is an ongoing spiritual battle that says, I still, is ne- it's still so deeply necessary in your life, no matter where you're at in life, to declare the truth over yourself over and over and over again. Here's the glory. God <laughs> in Jesus gave us a passage of scripture that is so, this is the one that has, that has sealed it for me. 
I, there's, where, there's other ones. You can go look at Romans 8. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption. Maybe that's it for you. I found it in this, and I will read it to you and then tell you why, and we'll get out of here. John 14, 16. Now, this is some of the most intimate things that Jesus said. This happened in the, in the upper room. He said, and I will pray the Father... Didn't say to the Father. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Isn't that powerful? I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Why is this so powerful? Seven things and they all have to do with what God will do, not what you do. This is God having done something just like you told. This is such a powerful little example of you with your dogs. This is, this is that. This is, don't you know I want to give you something really good? So here's the, look at these seven things. He didn't tell us to pray the Father. He said, I We'll pray the Father. I'm not sure we even know how to pray the Father. I, I never quite know, what does that mean? I've asked the Lord, show me what that means. I think that's a mystery hidden in the Trinity that is, that is bigger than any of us. I can pray to the Father, but pray the Father on you. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. Jesus in his relationship to God says, I will pray the Father. That's so deeply important. And secondly, the Holy Spirit will abide with you how long? He doesn't lift off when you go back to being an orphan. He doesn't quit. He's the helper and the spirit of truth. This is so powerful. His whole design, God says, I will help you. Not if you get your act together. Not if you do these seven things. Not if you get these five prayer steps. Not if you make sure there's no uh, hidden sin or uh, unconfessed stuff in your life. He says, he is the helper in the spirit of truth. Look at this. What does he say? I will come to you. What's the promise of God? That you should come to him? I will come to you. You will see me. He makes himself known. He does this to us. And look at the last two. Because I live, you will live. You will live. Because I live, you will live. 
Here's the other thing. I just can't understand this. You will know. Not you might know. You can know. Um, maybe if something really drastic, if one of those like really bad adventure stories happens, so God can show Himself as the hero to you. No. You'll you'll know. You can know the Father right now. It's been broken. See, the captivity says, yeah, but. The men, for any of you that had that going through you as I was reading this off, well, yeah, but that is that orphan mentality. The only buts that are really important in the Word of God are the ones you find in the New Covenant that says but God and but now. Those are the only ones that have value for our lives. The other one keeps us trapped. So if you're having the, yeah, but, then, then take that out and put, but God overcame that. He, he's going to manifest himself to me. don't have to be an orphan even if you feel abandoned you're not matter of fact at the times you feel most abandoned you're not that's when he is really there to show up at the times where I felt the worst about this he showed his best to me he's always done it Do you hear God? Yes, because he said I would. Um, I quit comparing myself to others and say, how come they got to hear this and hear that and I didn't hear anything? When I quit doing that, I heard him more clearly. He speaks in lots of different ways. We just seldom recognize it. He's always with you. You just don't always recognize it. He's always speaking to you. You're just not recognizing it. Well, can I learn to listen? Sure, there's ways to listen better. You bet. I teach my kids how to listen, or I did. No, they still listen to me. This scripture says he will. I will manifest myself. I will make myself known to you. The real issue is sometimes as orphans we don't like to hear what he has to say. Ouch. But you can hear him. Can I pray that for you today? Oh my Father. All of us have some of these characteristics. But you gave us the spirit of adoption. We're not separated from you. We don't have to stay bound in orphanic mentality. We can receive and and we grab hold. Even what James said this morning, we grab hold of this. That every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. That your intent towards us is good. I say it this morning, not seeing it all. 
But I declare, oh God, you're so good. And in that, Father, I will make you my story. I will make you my song. I will declare about your love. I will say, you are my father and I am your son. I will say, you are my father, I am your daughter. And I will declare it as truth over my life that it may be more evident to me. In Jesus' name. Let me release you with a blessing. This one's in the new covenant. And now, may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and in you all. And that throughout this entire week, you would live in this blessing of John 14. that God the Father is sending down every good and perfect gift all week long. All week long. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you love on each other?